Okay, folks, you're listening to the Old Time Radio Show. I'm John Hennigan, and this is our third show, and uh, our first show with a special in-studio guest, the uh, dreaded and long-awaited radio return of the great Pat Conte. Pat Conte is joining us today. How are you doing, Pat? Oh, I'm just doing great. Thanks. Thanks for letting me be here in this wonderful atmosphere. Mm, And especially to be on this side of the microphone instead of that side. Okay. Well, we're happy to have you here. And you've brought some uh, records that you're going to... Well, I was told told to bring records. I don't know why. I know there's a lot of records here. But, yeah, uh, but these uh, are your records. Yeah, so these are my records. That's right. right. So that that makes it super cool uh, for us I, listeners I to, to get to cool. get a glimpse know. inside the secret museum, the great collection of Pat Conte, which uh, many of us have uh, been uh, aware of and listening to in various formats of CD and LP over the years. Some yes. Well, it's uh, you know it's it is a real place, mm-hmm. but we like to keep it imaginary over the ether. <laughs> and, and so it's much bigger and much more dramatic in people's minds. You know, uh, so. I've been there. It's yeah. pretty, pretty yeah. dramatic. Trust okay. me. All right. So what are we going to so, start? So well, I actually brought a record that I uh, to start with because I, I thought I thought this would be appropriate. Okay. Uh, a record that I bought when I was twelve years old. I was either twelve or fourteen. I can't remember, and I still have it. And uh, I guess it was uh, from a time or a turning point in my life. Where I discovered that there was real folk music on 78s. Now, was which this is the only first imaginary. 78 you ever, you ever? This is from the first batch that I ever got. So were you I can't aware remember of 78s? 12, yes, I was, because, you know, that we had them in the family. You did. And uh, my, my dad had a, uh, a crank-up player in the basement oh. that I could use, but, he, you know, there were stupid records in there. There was, uh, you know, what, Desi what Arnaz and right, things, right. Uh, you know, whatever was popular. The typical pop music. Yeah, well, and there was some Italian music, I must say, that I would get from my aunts and play uh, just to entertain my grandmother, things like that. But there would have been pop songs, uh, Italian music that was mostly embarrassing to me. Right, right. Uh, but growing up As with it, usually you know. usually the music of your parents' generation, no matter well, who you Well, were, that changed actually music. quite soon after I discovered that I could go out and get my own records if I wanted to. <laughs> and uh, and it did change, and uh. eventually I did. Uh, actually, pretty early on, I think I did find a, a Italian traditional music, like Christmas music with, with bagpipes. Oh, wow. So that changed my, my whole mind right there about uh, our own, you know, the music of our people, let's sure, say. You know. Sure, sure. Uh, because I had never heard anything like that. I thought it was kind of goofy at first. Yeah. But uh, but this one was in the first batch, and the and this these guys are actually singing sea shanties, which I had recognized from uh, one song was from Pete Seeger, huh. and, and and I said oh boy now I actually have some source material for an old man of the music you know in my mind uh, Pete had learned it from this old seventy eight but. Of course, that that's not true. It's a it's a very famous song that was published, uh, you know, back in the nineteenth century. But sure, the the two songs that they sing, and these guys are, are from the English Music Hall. I found out later they sing "Lowlands," which is a very beautiful kind of lamenting song, and "Heeland Laddie." They say they say. Highland laddie here, but huh. the Scottish pronunciation is Heeland, Heeland laddie. <laughs> and uh, I thought we'd start with that because that's just one of the. Sounds great. Let's give it a spin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh. 
by old Saint Amelie and Cheyenne. I'm riding old Saint, I'm a leading old man. Goodbye, old Saint, I'm a leaving Cheyenne. Goodbye, old Saint, I'm a leaving Cheyenne. My thieves in the stirrup, my bridle in my hand. Goodbye, old Saint, I'm a leaving Cheyenne. Goodbye, old Saint, I'm a leaving Cheyenne. McClintock, there's a song uh, that's so, so rich. Uh, almost any version you hear of that song is just wonderful. This one. I don't know special. if I've ever heard another version from this era. Uh, well, there was a great one from the Library of Congress. This uh, a cowboy singer. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, it's really remarkable. But Mac, uh, as soon as he touches a song, uh, it just it's transformed, and 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 it's so weird. He was so popular, made so many good records that sold well, yeah, yeah, and and spread so many songs to so many people. Uh, that uh, by the thirties he disappeared, uh, for some reason, and it was our friend Rob Flader who found out one of the reasons he was over in South Africa running steam, uh, actually working on steam railroads there. Unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that were denied uh, hearing the continuing saga of... Uh, uh, he's the guy who, uh, I guess he claims authorship on Hallelujah, I'm a Bum. He said, uh, he was the guy, who sa- he said he wrote it somewhere around the turn of the century. Huh. I know there's a big fight over it. Certainly no one's done a better version. Uh, uh, that's hands down. I mean, uh, as soon as he touched, stuff like uh, that or... Uh, even uh, Big Rock, the Big Rock Candy Mountains. Yeah, that's a wonderful. Thing. But well, I always love that one. I always like the. I I, I have. I think epic. I have all of his records, but really, I've never come across one that doesn't just blow me away. Yeah. The last one I got was uh, "Ain't We Crazy," which yeah, is that's, just yeah, that's that's really funny song. He has so many sides. He's so uh, sides to his personality. It's great. It's great. And before that was uh, another really great song uh, that is also very widespread uh, I think a lot of states besides Georgia claim that song is the Boston Burglar hmm. uh, there's uh, the famous one from Kentucky is uh, which came later uh, was by I, I think it was the Hickory Nuts or was it Lou, that did Louisville Burglar They that was their version right, of the story right. But uh, that one is George Riley Puckett, uh, the fresh recording career of uh, of Riley, uh, and his voice is still kind of unsure uh, to his character. Yeah, yeah. You know, 
He, he definitely doesn't have the skillet liquor's tone going. No, there. no, there's something else going on there. A little and more. This is pretty early, I guess, about uh, 26 or it's so. It's got to be right. It's yeah. got to be just before uh, he hooking up with Tanner, which some people argue is the first string band if you count two people. Well, those uh, early Tanner Bucket uh, records. Yeah, fiddle. Just give me the leavings and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not so sure about that because I think. Uh, they might have been issued slightly bef- uh, before Samantha Bumgarner and huh. Eva Davis, but th- I remember that the Bumgarners, I remember looking in the files once, and uh, they seemed to c- have recorded first, but were issued later. They certainly so, sound a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> so who? This the, is... I mean the recording quality. Oh, this is, oh, okay. Certainly not the records, which You're are all, all masterpieces. Yeah, sonically, right? <laughs> yes, I should I should make that very clear. Mm. All masterpieces, but uh, oh yeah, weak recordings. You know. Yeah, they difficult are. to hear the banjo at all sometimes. You got to really toy with them to get some sound out. Yeah. Of so that that first record that you played for us, so you're somewhere between twelve and fourteen. You uh, hear yeah. that record. And uh, there was not, another not one too with many it. people on this planet who would come across that record and realize that there was a, a rich folk tradition that they had missed out on. Well, it was part of a batch. It was part of a batch. And the batch mem- was interesting. you remember what else was in there? I, sh- I sure do. Yeah, I could never forget it. Tell us what else was in uh, there. W- one was uh, the first time, uh, and they're all first for me. There was another sea shanty one, uh, by also by John Goss. That yeah, one, we John didn't say Goss. his name. John Goss's Cathedral Quartet. They, I, I had looked him up uh, back when I was in high school. I had this gigantic Oxford uh, bio- musician's biography. It was uh, too big to lift. It was just a ridiculously big book, but it had an entry for him. Huh. It was the only way I could find out about him. Unbelievable. And they sang in the English Music Hall. They liked these sea shanties, which they definitely took out of... Uh, published uh, sources hmm. and uh, they're just uh, just charming 1920s uh, you know treatments of them you know intended uh, I, I don't know who's supposed to buy them uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they had that figured out yeah. yet <laughs> but uh, in that batch uh, it was the first time I heard jazz in a country church uh, it was Reverend F.W. McGee uh, I didn't know who it was. Can't go wrong there. It was uh, with his stripes we are healed, and it might have been fifty miles of elbow room. I'm not sure. Hmm. Uh, the other that was the other side, and there was a record by Luke the Drifter, hmm. uh, which turned out to be Hank Williams' last record. Uh, oddly enough, was the Battle of Armageddon, hmm. and uh, when I heard this. Uh, very stark singer with just a guitar. I had to rethink all my Bob Dylan records and <laughs> Simon and Garfunkel and you know folk sure. singers with guitars uh, certainly ch- changed that day when I heard this old 78 and, uh, and I didn't know who these people were. I, I had heard about Hank Williams actually from my mother who had actually seen him play uh, and close up in a a, ca- a little cafe or something. Really? Wow. Incredible. And uh, he actually sang a song to her she, as she tells the story. But, uh, yeah, mo- all of these were just mostly mysterious names that I had no idea w- w- what they were. I just thought How they were cool yeah. and, and weird. And, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it, it was many long years before I was really discovering did what you, I was listening to. Did you have the experience that a lot of collectors have that the floodgates were open when you found those records, or did it take a while? I'm not sure, because, uh, you know, there's also a lot of bad records, you know, and uh, it's easy to gloss over them and, and forget them, but, uh, you, you know, you, it's a rite of passage. You have to buy all this uh, crap uh, to discover what is good. And uh, I, I would just buy things by titles. Uh, if something said Coon Band Contest, I remember I would buy <laughs> something like that. It didn't mean it was good music, but it was definitely interesting. Oh, yeah, sure. And I bought something called the Jupiter Symphony just by its title. Uh, you know, I, I had not known Mozart or anything like that. I, 
uh, it was, you know, a, a letdown. It, it didn't sound like Gustav Holst and the Planets, but it had a cool title, you know, so that's why I bought it. Yeah, yeah. I, did the I bought uh, classical so records uh, in the same batch, in fact. I had bought, uh, there were uh, Gregorian chants, which hmm. I was always attracted to. Interesting. Uh, so I was an altar boy, and I had, I had done Mass in Latin. And it was a pleasure to hear antique recordings of real monks you know, singing in, in an abbey in France. And, you know, ten cents apiece. <laughs> Salvation Army on Jamaica Avenue. You know. Well, we got to go there. Yeah. Well, I don't... I don't know what you'll find there now. <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah. What else do you have for us? Well, uh, talking about the Italian music, uh, it, it took a long while to uh, sort of sort out what I liked about uh, the old Italian records because uh, it was very difficult to find traditional music. Italians weren't really hip about their culture on... 78s it seems not in a big way it was de it's definitely there but it's not like the greeks or the irish or, or uh, you know where other you kind of ethnic feel like you got the best of the best huh where you feel like you got the best of the best with some of those other yeah other uh, it seemed that other ethnic groups especially the kind of immigrant new york population it seemed that italians were the poorest for traditional stuff Hmm. They were more concerned with, you know, uh, nice singing and uh, sure, tenors sure. and, uh, you know, pretty songs. But, uh, and then I heard this guy, I had bought a, again on Jamaica Avenue. It's a few blocks away from the Salvation Army. There's another guy who had a, a, a book, a book and junk store full of records. And uh, I, I remember, uh, again, I was a teenager and I sat on the floor looking at the shelves through all his Italian records, and I had no way of distinguishing anything of what I was looking at. So I just, I, I said, well, how much for all of them, you know? <laughs> I'll discover this at home, because I don't know what I'm leaving here. And one of the discoveries was this guy named Giovanni Gioviali. And so we'll hear uh, one here that actually I only recently discovered on my own shelves, because... Uh, <laughs> Uh, embarrassingly enough, it's not under his name, but I never read the composer credit until recently, and I, I really should have clicked with me uh, just by the sound of his playing. Uh, sure, sure. So I'm, I must, I'm embarrassed to say yeah, we that this is one of the great string players. We've all discovered records within our collection, <laughs> yeah. one way or the other. Uh, and and keeping in mind with string music, I thought we'd hear some uh, great music on the koto hmm. played by a, a, a wonderful player named uh, Miyagi Michio and uh, a very famous old piece and then uh, to round up that little set uh, a guitar player from uh, South Africa oh boy okay so this should be a little interesting instrumental uh, interlude <laughs> I like it okay Thank you. 
said it before and i'll say it again if you don't like that turn this off you no, right. freaks you know i forgot all about the the right attitude for the bitterman show yeah it's that's the me bitterman, Johnny bitterman. you know and and you know you're right there's something there's something definitely going on when you come into the bitterman experience well i i can say with uh 100 pure heartfelt sincerity that if you don't like those three records that we just played, turn this show off. Don't That's ever right. listen to it again. Now, now you're Go not into that there's uh, something wrong with anyone by not liking. It. No, I'm saying there's something wrong with you if you don't like it and you continue to listen. Oh, You'll right. never find that anything that you like. We cannot help you. <laughs> We've done all we can to try to help you. Now please run to Barnes and Nobles. Look in the top ten section. Probably one, two, and three are the CDs for you. <laughs> Is that fair? Uh, I'm trying to be fair. I think it's more than fair. Those, you know what? You know those what records is? you just played were incredible. <laughs> incredible. Absolutely. I, I and I want everyone to enjoy them, but I can't control that. If you don't, get out. Why, well, you shouldn't even be listening to me right now. You should have already <laughs> got off of this website and out of this podcast, however you're listening to it. See, uh, just a word of explanation to the new listener out there mm -hmm. who might not know about the bitter man experience mm -hmm. is that, that uh, you know 
we're with you. We're trying to uh, explain to you how we feel that even though it's 2011, you know, sometimes it feels like it's 1911. Sure. And 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 not in the good ways either. <laughs> I'm talking about in, you know, in 1911 we're involved in petty skirmishes around the world and stupid non-wars and uh, there were all kinds of issues about, uh, you know, the suffragettes and uh, women's issues and sexuality issues that we're, we're combating. Uh, nothing has changed. You'd have... Uh, uh, we have creationism back. Uh, they call it something else now, but it it's the same as in 1911. Yeah. They call it uh, intelligent design now. Yes. All kinds of weird sex. You 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 can uh, cults, not even sex. They're not sex anymore. They're, it's more like cults. Same thing has happened in 1911. All these bad things. Sure. Uh, you could drive down south and still see. Uh, there's no shortage of rebel flags even at official buildings yeah you ain't kidding you know and uh so we're not talking about the bad 1911 we're talking about something else about the music that seems to be missing in 2011 that's right and people like yourselves have spent countless countless hours amounts of money to try to sift through the debris and bring the listener of today the cream of the crop the best of the best the rarest of the rarest the sweetest of the sweet and uh, i'm simply saying if the listener doesn't appreciate it that's your prerogative get out that's right later for the garbage that's it. is what john lee hooker used to say later of, for the garbage. plenty of modern garbage out there for you to enjoy but anyway that was uh, that last person was Alfred Radebe. Now, now you said to me while that record was playing, if I could play like this, <laughs> I wouldn't play anything else, and I couldn't feel uh, any any more uh, exactly like that listening to that record. Yeah, that's that's Incredibly definitely beautiful. one of my first reactions to it. Beautiful. Uh, this beautiful. is a guy who recorded around Johannesburg. Uh, uh, this is a product of uh, when I started to discover that you could write to people in different parts of the world hmm. and ask them to look for old records for you. Unbelievable. And, uh, you know, of course, there's nobody for me to ask about th who and w what I'm listening to and uh, where does this music come from. Uh, to most people, they're just old records. And uh, is this the kind of stuff you like? And I said, uh, well, yes, this is <laughs> definitely the kind of stuff. That I like. Incredible. So you had someone sending you records like that. At one point, uh, I had uh, actually made a network of people. I just went, went mad to corresponding uh, anything that looked promising that was related to music. So I might write, uh, I might have written to a folklore society somewhere in. Uh, Sweden or something hmm. or I might have gotten a directory of, uh, of phonograph dealers who lived in South Africa or I might have gotten incredible but radio how, how about this incredibly uh, insightful of someone uh, well uh, you know there, there was just I knew that this stuff existed it had right. to uh, I just didn't know uh, I didn't have the means to travel right uh so uh, the only other way was to correspond, and uh, you know it's uh, it gets I mean, a pre, leftover from pre-internet. I can't imagine how right. you find these people, or just well, as simple as finding a record store in some foreign country. Well, a lot like of them that. are gone. And, you know, a lot of them are dead now. They, the, the, some of them, uh, some of them were very savvy collectors themselves, really? and not interested in. Uh, expanding their horizon but uh, nothing nothing bad about it they just they saw value in these things right, right. And, and they knew that uh it would be appreciated and they fed off of that interest and and uh, they became interested themselves in being a source and providing hmm. uh uh to people like me uh, i'm sure there were others like me uh but my uh, my resourcefulness you know, it was pretty limited. Uh, I, I did my best. <laughs> when I did pretty good. Well, I did my best when I, I had an idea. Let's say, for instance, uh, I, I like the shortwave radio. Right. Uh, 
uh, the nerdy kind of thing that I'm sure kids today, I, I'm sure that's they wouldn't even know what you're talking about now. Right. But uh, you know, there was a time when uh, it, was, it was a very satisfying hobby to listen to the radio of other nations, uh, and, and you know, just to try to find uh, an obscure station and see what was going on. I heard incredible music that way. Hmm. Absolutely mind-boggling. I, I, I heard Siberian throat singers one night. I heard Inuit singers uh, in the middle of the night uh, broadcasting somewhere in, in deep in Canada. Uh, 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 just fantastic music. So I, I would find out about the clubs and I would uh, you know, write to the head of such and such shortwave club uh, in, uh, you know, such and such country and, and say, uh, well, is anyone there into music? You know, and it's not necessarily old 78s. It might just be a person who just loves the music. No matter what format it was, it was willing to share and, you know, send me LPs from the Ukraine uh, of music that I would never he get to hear. Incredible. Or send me, uh, uh, or, uh, you know, send me... Uh, Forty-fives uh, from uh, uh, some South American country of, of some music that I might never have heard. Uh, you know, it wasn't always the exotic, wonderful '78 to score. Uh, before we heard, uh, before the Alfred Radebe, uh, we heard from uh, Miyagi Michio, the uh, blind koto player. And uh, now, as exotic as that seems to uh, people who have never heard him, this man's a national treasure. I mean, everybody in Japan would know hmm. this man. It was one of a... That's uh, interesting, yeah. absolutely remarkable virtuoso musician sure. who had a long life and a long career. And uh, you could go into any Sam Goodies or whatever, and there'll be LPs of Miyagi Michio. Uh, you know, he, he recorded well into the 60s as an old man. And, uh, you know, the, so the, the it was just a pisser to find uh, s s these old 78s and have them translated by a Japanese friend, uh, you know. What would you say he was like the Uncle Dave Macon of Japan? Uh, that's, uh, that's very fair. You know, he's a virtuoso musician who plays uh, precious uh, traditional music and... Uh, uh, it's really almost in a classical sense, uh, the way he delivers his music. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really and, beautiful. And uh, it's very elegant, and it's very Japanese. It's just yeah, yeah. everything about it. It's just uh, there's a, a depth and a precision, and uh, and, and it still retains that emotion that, uh, of of any great string player hmm. uh, that uh, you you heard. You could hear. Uh, the depth of uh, of uh, Giovanni Gioviali, who we started with, is yeah, a remarkable, another virtuoso, and uh, I didn't know if I had mentioned in the first batch of Italian records that I went out and got, it was one of his great masterpieces on the mandolin, uh, when he played, the, he arranged the uh, sextet from the opera, uh, the Lucia sextet, Sextet, where uh, he just arranged it for solo mandolin. And, uh, you know, he plays all these parts, and it's just mind-boggling, the level of musicianship. And you pointed out to me when we were listening to it that he was actually playing a tenor banjo there. Until yeah, this you is, a, it out, this I is I Italian, it yeah, right. yeah. Italian banjo music. In Italian, it's bengio. Bengio. B-E-N-G-I-O. Yeah. -E Beautiful. So, such a great arrangement with the whole band there. Yes, too. that was Bella Contadinella. Does he have a lot of records with a band like that? That's uh, well, uh, he he did a lot of recording. Uh, that doesn't mean they've all been surfaced. Right. But... Uh, he he's in every setting. Hmm. He's in duo setting with another great guitar player. Uh, he's in he did a few solos, but you mostly hear him with a, a larger band. You know, or maybe not as large as that one. That's probably the biggest aggregation he was involved in. It's great. Yeah. 
And, uh, uh, and for me, on, on the personal note, the, the, uh, discovering ethnic music this way, where there was no one really to ask, I said, well, I'll take all these Italian records. And when I brought them up to the counter and I had to go make trips back and forth to my house with a, a broken down uh, shopping cart that belonged to my grandmother, uh, I think I might have broke out the bottom of it because there was so many 78s. It was, you know, a few feet. And I came back for the last batch, and, and, the, and the owner, who was Italian, he kind of very slyly leaned across the counter to me and said, uh, well, how come you didn't want the Sicilian records? And I said, what? And he says, oh, yeah, there's a whole other shelf that's Sicilian. I kept them separate. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a joke among certain Italian people that, you know, Sicily is separate, sure. from, you know. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, first of all, I was completely crestfallen that I didn't get everything. But, uh, you know, I eventually went back and it was a joke. He played a, he played a very funny joke on me. So, But I think that's a, a good point is that discovering all this stuff on your own is really it's a huge advantage in a way that you're unaffected by anyone else's opinion too i don't know if you've ever had this experience but i know when i first started collecting you know like most people had no idea what i was doing what i was listening to what labels meant anything what what air it was from so i'm listening to things and sometimes you can't process a record uh entirely when you first hear it and you just go on someone else's opinion i've had the experience several times at least a dozen times where i've bought records a second time that I got rid of early on because someone told me it was no good. And then I hear it years later and go, oh my God, that record's so good now that my yeah. ears have developed and I can hear it a yeah. certain way. Yeah. But you're you're hearing all this stuff, all these different ethnic records, literally for the first time. Right. I mean, in a, in a way, even though it's an incredible amount of work and an, and an amazing, yeah. you know, well, task I can't to tell take you how, on. I can't tell you how many of those records I wound up not keeping. God. You know, you know, there's just so many that didn't interest me. Yeah, sure. And uh, that, but that's how you learned. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, that, it, and it, that's it, the really the essence of what I like about any kind of collecting, is that uh, when there's no one to ask. Yeah, yeah, that is the best way. It's, it's a painful process sometimes. It is painful, and uh, but but the joy of discovery. When it does happen, is, is like unmatchable. It. Yeah, nothing like it. Uh, the first, the very first th piece that we played, uh, which is the English Music Hall guys, uh, who are anything but traditional. Now these are trained singers. They're playing. Uh, they're singing music out of a book, or out of sheet music. Uh, there's there's nothing re remarkable about them except. Uh, from for my discovery on that very personal level that wow here's this beautiful antique music and uh, okay it's not it, it's you know it's not good enough to be in the soundtrack of Moby Dick <laughs> but it, it but there's some charm about it there's something about it that appeals to me if it appeals to someone else like right now who had never heard that which i assume is most people uh, that's great too. You know, that's wonderful. Yeah, sure. But uh, you know, so I'll have a very nostalgic feeling, or a very personal connection with even Riley Puckett's record, which to collectors uh, has almost no value. Yeah. Uh, that that Boston Burglar, that was the second piece in the program, uh, a record that uh, most collectors would turn up their nose they, they might not even pick it up well it's funny that you brought that up because uh you know i don't know how many riley puckett records i've had probably hundreds you know and when i first started turning up country records in these big you know lots of stuff that nobody wanted you get tons of that kind of stuff and at first you know i, I just kept everything and then after hearing people say stuff like oh riley puckett oh it's horrible oh, oh i eventually got rid of almost all of them and now have rediscovered so many great ones, and, and you know some of them are, are, are just masterpieces. Yeah, you know? and they're not—they're not all great. But the the point being is that you know, uh, you know, you let people influence you, and it has a, a strange effect sometimes. 
Okay, so moving on. Well, moving on, again, on my personal note, uh, when I discovered that uh, I, I should go into the city in Manhattan, oh take boy. the train, start looking around, snooping around, and the haven really, uh, and I loved books and poetry and, uh, you know, from grammar school on, so uh, to, to discover old books on 4th Avenue, uh, the old book row, which I'm sure you've heard a lot about. Sure. Uh, that was Wonderland. Uh, you know, just beautiful store after store after store. There was one corner store that had a gigantic loft full of records and, and books. And uh, a lot of these old-timers would open up a little basement kind of store, throw their stock down there, whatever 78s they could scare up, stuff from other closed stores, passed on between dealer to dealer, uh, stuff taken off curbs from the garbage to see if they could make a, a dollar out of it. And I discovered uh, these guys, Manny and Luke, and I used to go there on Saturdays, take the subway into the city, and just sit in this filthy little hole in the ground you know, with the kind of bare bulb hanging on the chain kind of place. With, <laughs> and the toilet's always running in the back. You can hear it. It's always broken. <laughs> and these guys going out for coffee in Danish, all these old timers, they stink of cigars. Uh, and I'd just be sitting among them, listening to them basically talk about anything in life. You know, old timers. But the wealth of music... And knowledge that's going between these guys while I'm flipping through records was amazing and uh, this is just one of the things I, I picked up from uh, from Spain and I had no idea what I was listening to until I stood started back home and and went on the long journey to figure out who these people are let's give it a spin
Well, that was, uh, wow, incredible again. What an ending on that last record. Oh, that is super music. The Dundee Wandering Singers. Never heard they're, they're direct uh, contemporaries to uh, to Solomon Linda. The Evening Songbird is a famous group that named the music, Imbube. Huh. And you can hear uh, the, the high singers kind of imitating Linda. These guys would have been direct competitors in a hostile uh, where they had a singing competition. And I, I'd be surprised uh, if... I wouldn't be surprised, rather, if they didn't even share personnel because uh, these are these are zulu double quartets and and uh, in the 30s when these guys would uh, perform it would almost always be uh against each other in competition in hmm. in the men's hostels uh in south africa you know where the men were you know segregated and they would stay and work in in the city part uh, and you know, only c- commute to the country part where they lived, outside of the town, uh, maybe only a few times a year. So you have all these men cooped up in these big uh, hostels, and uh, and and this really is the golden age of that music in the 1930s. And the, and the song they actually, yeah, you hear the baritone singer Shubham Bone Shubamba. He's imitating a car traveling. And and if in the title you can see, it's Hamba Studebaker. That's right, what right. they're singing about. Yeah, yeah. Let's all, let's all go in the Studebaker. I'm glad I didn't put that away. I liked wow. hearing that again. Incredible. And before that, uh, the Turkish singer uh, was uh, he's not really credited on this record. I, I think it's Bey Nadir. It only says Bey N with ellipses after the end. Hmm. So he might have been under contract. Uh, I mean, he has a very distinctive voice. I know him from other labels. But he was probably under contract to those labels and not this label. That was incredible singing. Incredible. And yes, this this is really up in the pinnacle of that style of singing. And uh, I won't even attempt all the Turkish poetry. You know, there's some lines of the song. Uh, on the label? Yeah, on the label. But, hmm. uh, you know, the, what they really title it is by its makam, its mode, and and uh, the type of song. So they only say, never rast gazelle. And the reason why we like rast so much in uh, Western people are, 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 are especially collectors, they're, they're kind of drawn to it because you flat the third and the seventh in the scale. So it's a lot like blues. Like the, that's and, the blues and, scale, sure. And the, and even the songs are, are lamentations and, you know, uh, sadness. Woe is me, he says, aman, aman. You know, it's, it's, it's their blues. It's Turkish blues. And again, from the 20s. Or actually, that might be around 1930. And then we started with a, a group of singers. I, this is a remarkable thing that I discovered, too, uh, and I didn't know anything about La Coja, this was a, a, a quadro, a, uh, a group of gypsies that lived, they lived in caves in Spain, in Sacramonte. And somebody went there for the gramophone company and set them and set up to record them. Now, I might be wrong, they might have been brought to a studio. But, uh, but, I, but I remember a little folder that came with some of these records that actually had pictures of them where they live really huh. in these caves in the mountains at Sacramento so that was La Coja and that was a disco gramophone that's probably one of my favorite labels the, the of the HMV family yeah the, that's great the, the green one with the 
I'm sorry this isn't television, folks. You can't <laughs> see the, the, the Nipper logo from Spain. <laughs>